I want to kind of just dive right in. Um, you know, we call these particular nights upper room nights. The reason why we call them upper room nights is because we see the early church as the model for what God wants to do in his people. You know, that hasn't changed. If you know anything about what happened that night in the upper room, what you'll find is that there was a powerful move of God. A powerful move of God. And I wonder, I wonder, I just wonder if that could happen here tonight. I want you to hear where I'm coming from with this. The key ingredient amongst them wasn't that they were super religious. It wasn't that they had it all together. It wasn't that they were perfect people, that they were model Christians, good little Christians. That it wasn't that they read the Bible a lot. It wasn't, it, was, it wasn't any of that. The scriptures clearly state in the book of Acts that they were of one mind and one accord. Friends, they were one. They were one. And we live in a day and age where, I hate to say this, but by and large, the body of Christ is not one. It's not one, and because it's not one, there's the, the power of God is lacking. And it's not that God is lacking. It's that we're not making room for what God wants to do. And so tonight I want to talk to you on a simple topic. I want to talk to you on the topic, make us one. Make us one. Evan, don't, don't drive yourself crazy. It is what it is. Don't worry about it. You get it up, you get it up. I'm not worrying about it. Um, but I want to talk to you tonight on the topic, make us one. Make us one. And I want you to see, I want you to consider what the scriptures state. I don't want to give you an opinion. I'm not here to excite your mind, to, to kind of rile up your emotions. That's not, that's not, I'm not here to do that. I want us to simply consider the scriptures. And I pray that as we lean into the scriptures that we would catch the heart of Jesus. You know, in the final moments, I sent out a video this morning. Maybe some of you saw it, maybe you didn't. But I was making this statement. I was reflecting on this idea that in, in a person's final moments of their life, even in those last moments where they're taking their final breaths, you know, what they say and what they do is most likely what's most important. You want to say and you want to do what's most important in those final moments. And in those final moments before Jesus was betrayed and he was crucified, and even in those final moments as he was about to give up, you know, his, his physical life before his death and resurrection, he had one thing in mind. He had us in mind. He had people in mind. And in those final moments, Jesus made some powerful statements he gathered the disciples around a table, around a table and around a meal. Now, I know for us, you know, when we think about dinner, we think about having a meal. We pull out our little tables. We go sit on the sofa. This person's here. That person's there. There's no intimacy to meals by and large today. But in those days, to sit around a meal, and especially when, at the time when they were doing this, this was, a, this was like what you would call Holy Week. And so they, they were being very, very intentional about observing 
this meal. They, they, were, they were reflecting upon what God had done. So Jesus gathers them in this moment around this dinner table. And they have this intimate time eating. And Jesus says many things that indicate why he wanted to do this. And in these final moments, Jesus made a few statements. John 13, 34 through 35 says, a new command I give you. This is right around the table. And listen, he's not just talking to Peter and James and John and, and Andrew. He's also talking to Judas. Judas is there when he says this. And he says, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Think about what Jesus is getting at here. What is Jesus attempting to do in this moment with the disciples? John 15, 12, in these final moments, Jesus again says this right around this table. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Then he goes on to say in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for one's friends. Again, what is Jesus attempting to do by these statements? John 17, 11 records what Jesus was attempting to do. Jesus is now in the Garden of Gethsemane. He attempted to have the disciples. He says to them, hey, stay up with me and pray. Lest you fall into temptation. Lest you end up falling subject to what's about to happen. He's trying, he's trying, to, he's trying to accomplish something here with these guys. These guys fall asleep and he's praying in deep anguish, and he says this in the midst of his prayer in John 17, 11. He frames, without their knowledge, he frames, because they're asleep. You know, that's a story that's still playing out in many today. But Jesus was praying, and he says, I will remain in the world no longer. But they're still in the world. And he says, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them. By the power of your name. Listen closely to this next point. He says, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I want you to think about what Jesus is actually saying here. Jesus is not saying, I'm praying, Holy Father, that they would be united. He's not saying, I'm praying that they would be together. He's not even praying that they would know each other or live around each other. Listen to what Jesus said. If we could put that back up, go back one verse. I just, want, I just want you to see this so that you see this is not my opinion. He says, so that they may be one, right? But watch this, as we are one. He's putting on par at the same level that Jesus and the Father are one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one. Right? Mind, heart, in every single aspect, every, every, in, 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 in the whole Godhead, as they are one, he says, that they would be so close as we are. Why did Jesus gather them? 
Why did Jesus go to such a great extent to teach them? Why did Jesus model all these things? Why did Jesus lay down his life? Why did Jesus rise again from the dead? I know for some of us we might say, well, it's to forgive our sin. Yes, that's true. But sin was the issue that separated us from God and still separates us from each other. Why do I say that? Yes, sin has been dealt with, but you know, it's sinful to not be one. It's sinful. It's wrong. It is ungodly. It is a violation of the nature and the character of God. It does not reflect what Jesus said, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Oh, you don't understand. I have issues with these people. The issue is you have an unrenewed mind. The issue is that we don't want to obey God. The issue is that we believe we know more than Jesus because we think we're better off on our own. And that's not what Jesus gave his life for. Listen, let me put it to you this way. Jesus not only came to give us his life, he came to give us a new life to establish one body that we would be one. One. Friends, one. One people. One. There's power in oneness. There's no division in oneness. While there may be weaknesses among us, there's power for the weakest of us. Why? Because when we're one, there's always a supply of what we need. Friends, I'm not here with fancy words and to give you wisdom of men. I simply want us to consider this. Jesus wants us to be one. One. And if we could actually get this, if we could actually not just understand this and rationalize this, if we could actually get to the point where we Believe this, friends. There will be a turning point in our lives. There will be a turning point in our lives. So why one? Why one? Why does he want us to be one? Let me read to you the words of Jesus in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21 as he's praying. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That tells us something. He wasn't praying just for them to be one. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Verse 21, he goes on to say, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. Listen, he didn't come to establish one church like one church in Newburgh. (laughs) 
or one church in a neighborhood or one church in a region. Jesus came to establish one in the world. He wants us all to be one. With our issues, with our insecurities, with our hang-ups, with our strengths, with our gifts, in every regard, he wants us to be one. I know we've heard that, that old saying, we're better together than we are apart. You know, that's not a, that's not a man-made idea. That's, that's from the heart of God. And so I want us to consider that when we are one, one leads to many, according to what we just read. When we're one, God uses it. Not just for the sake of one, but for every one. Every single one. There's power in that. A couple of days ago, I was sleeping. Steve, if you could just help me with that, please. Just, just bring, oh, watch that glass. I got it, I got this. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You could just put it right there. A couple of days ago, I was sleeping, and you know, I wake up really early in the mornings, and, and I woke up with a portion of Scripture, a familiar passage of Scripture, one that, that I've taught on here, but you know, it, it just really spoke to me deeply. I want to read it to you first. Because I want to jump off from here, and then we're going to take some time for ministry. And we're going to do things a little bit different tonight, okay? I get it. Some of us, if you got to go, you got to go. That's all right. God bless you. We love you. But I'm not rushing anything tonight. I'm really not. All right? That doesn't mean I'm going to keep you here all night either. All right? But I'm just saying, you know, I, I don't want to rush this tonight. But I want to read to you from Psalm 133. We're going to start at verse 1. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity, right? In unity. Now, that's not talking about unity like in just how good it is when people are in the same room. It's not simply talking about how good it is when people get together for a moment. I want you to consider that the scripture in verse 1 says how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. That word dwell there in the Hebrew means to remain. It means to live. It means to coexist. Think of a puzzle interlocked. It's the full picture. And the full picture that pleases God and he calls good is when his people remain in unity, remain as one. Verse 2 goes on to say, it is like the precious oil upon the head. Running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. Let's just leave that portion of scripture up right there. Now, I know I don't have oil on, and I know that Pastor Ned did this a whole lot cooler, right? <laughs> but I'm not going to attempt to use oil. I don't want my hands all sticky and all that, right? <laughs> no, 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 just, just for the sake of, I was sleeping, and all of a sudden I wake up, and I hear this portion of scripture, and I'm, as I'm hearing it, 
I'm half awake, half asleep. What I'm seeing is what I want to convey to you. And it was, it was simply this. What I saw was this, right? God, right, he, let's just assume this is oil, right? What the scripture says is how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity, right? It's like the precious oil that flows from the top of Aaron's head down to his robe, right, down to his beard, down to his robe, right, and down to the edge of his garment, right? And it's talking about the power of God and the anointing of God, right? All that God wants to do in our lives. And what's interesting is that the issue isn't with God. The flow always, like, like the faucet is still flowing, right? But what I saw, and I'm going to tell you what I heard in a second, what I saw was this, that the issue is never God when it comes to his people. See, he's consistent in his flow. The issue is we're not in position. And because we're not in position, because we're not one, because we're not united, hear me clearly. This goes straight from the scripture. Go back to verse 1, please, Evan. It's good and pleasant to God when we dwell in unity. The converse is also true. It's not good and it's not pleasing when we're not one. We're not positioned. And when we're not in position, friends, something tragic happens. Go to verse 3, please, of Psalm 133. Something really tragic happens. Verse 3 says that when this anointing flows, this oil flows, that it is like the dew of Hermon, that it descends upon the mountain of Zion. That's the mountain of God. In other words, God is working. But watch this. When we are in position, the scripture says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. The blessing is here as one. And what the scripture denotes is it's a commanded blessing. I want you to see the blessing has to flow. The blessing has to work. The blessing cannot be undone. The blessing cannot be stopped. The blessing cannot be put to shame. The blessing, come devil, come demon, come curse, come pass, come insecurity, no matter what it is, when God's people function as one when we are one the commanded blessing of God is not only upon you but it has to be released 
Because God commanded it. God commanded it. Leads me to a point I want us to consider. Being one is not about proximity. It's about being in position for God to move powerfully. Now, this isn't my opinion. I'm simply concluding this based upon the scriptures that we just looked upon. We heard from the heart of Jesus. We see how this works according to God's master plan, his design. And we see what the end result is supposed to be. But I want us to consider this. I want us to really think about this. That it's very true. This is an absolute certainty that there are many that are a part of the body of Christ that are suffering loss, that are struggling, that are lacking, that are confused, that are living powerless, that are unstable emotionally, mentally, physically. Why? Because we're not positioned where the commanded blessing is. I want you to see that this is not just about being together in the same place. The commanded blessing is where God's people dwell as one. And when we do not dwell as one, we reject the blessing of God. Man, if I could just hear all your thoughts right now. What I, w- I would give $100 for every thought that I heard. A whole bunch of you just missed that. Don't expect $100 now. <laughs> the only way we're in full position. Let me just back up and just make this point. This is not just scriptural. This is spiritual law. Let me me put it to you this way. The life of the believer does not flow from the outside in. The life of the believer flows from the top, down, and through. We just saw that. Right? So... God has to work in you before you can see him working through you, right? So so what I want you to see is that God does a work spiritually before he ever, before we even see it naturally. So this is spiritual law, which means if we follow spiritual law, it begins to do a work in us, and then it begins to work through us, and then it begins to work for us, right? Friend, spiritual law is like the law of gravity. You know what happens every single time you 
open your fingers. It's going to drop. You know what happens every single time? We follow what the spiritual law of God determines. That blessing is going to drop into your life. It's going to manifest. Your problem is not your income. Your problem is not your physical ailment. Your problem, our problem is not people. Our problem is not our emotions. Our problem is that we have a tendency to violate spiritual law. And this is just one of many. One of many. You know why that woman received more than she gave? Because spiritual law says you sow, right? You will reap what you sow in greater measure. Spiritual law. It's how God's kingdom works. Does this make sense? And so, back to what we're talking about tonight. Spiritual law is that we be one. My heart's, my heart's prayer. Never mind my heart's prayer. The Lord's heart is really this, friends. That when we leave here, never again do we leave here alone. That when we leave here, we don't leave here having connected with a friend. No, that we leave here connected to a family. So I just want to give you just three things, and then I want to take some time for ministry. I'm, I'm going to be very brief with these. But, you know, if we're going to become one, we need to understand that we grow as one when we hold our position. We grow as one when we hold our position. I touched on that a little bit, but let me give you some scripture for context. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, but speaking the truth in love. Right? So we're going to see what truth and love looks like. After it's been declared, speaking the truth in love, you may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So that sounds like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just about you growing up. But watch how we grow up. Verse 16. It says, for from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. By what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And when that happens, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Leave that, leave that scripture up there for now, Evan. I want you to consider what being in position looks like when we are one. It says that every joint, every joint, every single joint is supplying. But here's, here's the beauty of this body. Because it's, inter, it's in, interdependent, if I could put it that way, 
right? It is all reliant upon each part of the body. This toe down here that I'm moving right now can't move without that ankle and this knee and that shin and this thigh and these hips and, th and this torso and these hands and this brain and these... It can't function. Why? Because the supply depends on every part working according to what we see in the scripture. You know what the problem is? Can I just be real, real transparent and honest? Just by observation. You know what the problem is by and large in the majority of the body of Christ? We're looking to be supplied, but we don't want to be suppliers. We want to be supplied. Meet my emotional needs. Massage my feelings. Tell me how great I am. Help me. Touch me. Be there for me. You know what Paul said about that? Paul said, can the eye say to the hand, I don't need you? We function best when we focus more on supplying than getting. Because you know what? As we supply according to scriptural law, there's always the ability to be supplied more. When all we want is to be supplied, what we create is a stoppage. You know what happens to a, to a body part when it loses the ability to be supplied strength and to move? It's called apathy. You know what literally happens? I've never broken a bone in my body and I don't plan to, right? But I, it's been my observation, and even with people that I know that have had a broken body part, after a few months of having a cast on or being or having a body part immobilized, what literally happens to that body part is it begins to lose mass. It loses strength. You know why? Because it was undergoing death for a while. It was lacking supply. And in the body of Christ, when we are more focused on being supplied than being suppliers, we die. We die. So we're in position when we're adding to one another. Right? When we each assume our share of the load. Simply put, each part of Christ's body hinges upon the joints connected around it. This sounds so cliche, but I can't put it no other way. You will kill what God wants to do in your life. We will kill what God wants to do in our lives if we continue to live alone on this walk of faith. Spiritual law, it will die. You will kill your faith. You will kill your hope. 
and you will certainly kill your blessing. Make us one, Lord. Make us one. Second point I want to give you with, leave you with here is that we grow as one when we participate with one another. We grow as one. We grow to become one as we participate, when we participate with one another. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, very familiar passage of scripture says this, starting at verse 9. Two are better than what? One. one. Two are better than one. Because they have what? A good reward. Come on, say that with me. They have what? A good reward for their labor. Verse 10. For if they fall, one will what? Lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone. You know what the scripture, you know what God is saying there? I pity the one who is alone. Why? Because when he falls, he has no one to help him. Listen to what the scripture is saying. This is by inspiration of God that Solomon penned these words. When one is alone, he has no one to help him. But get the context here. It's not just people who are missing. It's God who's missing. Not because he left. Because we want to be alone. We want to be alone. Verse 11. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Verse 12. Here's, here's, here's the culmination of what oneness is supposed to look like. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand. Watch this. And a threefold cord cannot quickly, is not quickly broken. Now I want you to see what's the purpose when we actually actively participate in one another's lives. When we're just doing our life, the scripture says we're just, we can be overpowered, right? But then it starts talking about numbers and it denotes that where there's two, it's better. But you know what a threefold cord is? It's three separate cords intertwined to make one. What is the scripture telling us? The strength of God works amongst people whose lives are intertwined. We're not supposed to be operating as strands. We're supposed to be operating as one cord. Because one cord can't be broken. You know what we see here? 
relationship among us, when we're one, it facilitates rewards. Scripture says that. Verse 9. Facilitates rewards. It gives us the ability to rebound. Why? Because there's always somebody to pick us up. Right? It provides us care. But it also provides us power to overcome. And it also provides us power to not be overcome. The last point I want to leave you with here, and, and, and this is where I want to land tonight. When you came in, some of you, many of you probably received one of these. If you didn't, don't worry about it. There's plenty around the room. Somebody's going to have one. But I'm going to tell you why I gave you that. Some scriptures. But I want you to consider, I want to take it back to Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. When we grow as one, we pray for one another. We grow as one when we pray for one another. Get this. The disciples were so far gone in their fear, in their slumber, in their anxieties, in their doubts, in their worries. Read what happened at that table that night. These guys were shaken to the core. They doubted. Didn't bother Jesus. Didn't move Jesus at all. Didn't cause him to love them less. Despite the fact that they were going to deny him, they were going to betray him, they were going to have him crucified, they were going to sell him out, they were going to leave him alone, they were going to all disperse after everything he had done for them. None of that changed his mind. None of it. But in this final moment before his crucifixion, before his, his betrayal and his crucifixion, Jesus saw that the disciples were far gone. And so he touched them the only way he could. He prayed. He prayed. Let me ask you a question. And please don't shout it out. Just be honest with yourself. When was the last time you prayed for somebody in this room? I mean, could you actually outcount the fingers on your hands for how many people you see in this room? Never mind other people. Just the people in this room. How many could you actually say that you prayed for? See, prayer is power because prayer unites us. You know how it unites us? It focuses our interests on each other instead of ourselves. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, 
uh, past events that we've done, you'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.